You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Chris and Joe Show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon joined by Chris Flum, as always, talking New York Giants football. Today we're going to be breaking down the Giants' recent loss to the New England Patriots on Thursday Night Football. We have plenty of time to digest this just like you have, folks. Got the chance to look at the film, better understand what happened, and it actually opened our eyes to a number of things that we really didn't expect. But before we do our typical deep dive and breaking this game down from offense and defense we're going to take a, a quick look at the recent news for the Giants as they signed a running back and also a receiver in Buck Allen who is a former Raven and Benny Fowler a player that was previously on the Giants roster who was waived and then brought back and in an effort to make room they waived a player that we are not upset about is Nate Stupar. Does this mean you won't be going on your special teams rant? We did promise people a special teams rant. Uh, I'm, I don't think it's necessary because <laughs> I, I, I kind of am tempted to, but I don't know if it's as necessary considering uh, the fact that, you know, he's no longer on the team. There's nothing to complain about anymore. He, Nate Stupar has always been a liability and we finally don't need to worry about him going forward. Hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. But so I guess this begs the question, though, I'm sure Giants fans are wondering, and I've already had some inquiries through the Facebook from people who are asking about uh, Buck Allen in the signing. What do the, these two new additions mean for the Giants offense? Well, I would say for Benny Fowler, it probably means that the Giants are going to be without Sterling Shepard, at least for a little while. You know, two concussions in a month, thats that starts to get into the concern area. You really want to let a guy be really healthy you want to be absolutely sure he is healthy before you put him back on the field when he's had two brain injuries that close together as for buck allen yeah he's never been a particularly great running back i don't think he ever really lived up to his promise coming out of usc but he has been a i think a a better receiving running back than a lot of people realize he's been targeted 169 times caught 129 of them so he's at least reliable he scored on average two two touchdowns a season receiving so that at least gives the Giants another receiving back weapon so now they're they're three deep there with Saquon Barkley who I think we should at least start expecting him to be back and Wayne Gallman who we hope to have back this week so that they might not have a particularly efficient running back on their hands but they at least have a good receiving back yeah this signing of of Buck Allen I don't really think is one to be overly excited about he you're not bringing him in to have a thousand yard rushing season it's really just so that they have someone that's serviceable 
in these emergency situations when you have no Wayne Goldman, you have no Saquon Barkley, he's just a better option than John Hillman. Hillman, you know, he has a great story and he's an undrafted running back. I just don't think that he proved that he was capable of being a go-to option in those situations. He was egregiously bad at times too, considering the amount of fumbles he had in a two-game span um, and just overall poor vision and poor decision-making from him. So, Buck Allen, you're getting a, a little bit of a bigger running back, 6'1", 216 pounds is what he's measured in at. He's going to be a, a helpful guy in those situations when maybe Wayne Goldman's down and Barkley's back or vice versa. Just a little bit of extra depth with someone that's been there before that is a veteran running back and actually can carry the ball without continuously fumbling it. Yeah, and I'd like to add there, he Allen has had three fumbles in four years with 54 games. So ball security does not seem to be an issue for him, which right now is probably the number one thing the Giants should be looking for. Yeah, ball security is really, really, really important. You didn't really need John Hilleman to be some dynamic guy that was going to step in and play right away. All you needed was him to be consistent and him to not fumble the ball, and he did not prove that, and he was not dynamic in any way. He was under 50 yards, I'm pretty sure, in the two games where he was essentially the the featured running back. And again, the fumbling was just a significant issue, which was ultimately the reason why they had to go out of their way to go find a veteran running back. And they finally listened to the pleas of many people, which was, Bring somebody else in because John Hillman is not getting the job done. All right, now we are going to be giving you our breakdown of the game offensively and defensively after we got the chance to take a look at the tape. As we typically do, we analyze the positives from the game and we try to analyze the negatives as well. So this is, when we talk about offensively, a game that is much heavier on the negative side than it is the positive side. We do have one positive, though, and it's worth acknowledging, is that we have some more proof that this offense can stretch the field. And we saw that with that Golden Tate touchdown on the go route in the second quarter. Yeah, you know, that was a well-thrown ball. I think probably an even better catch by Golden Tate. The concentration to haul in that kind of bobbling, bouncing ball as the cornerback, I believe it was Stephen Gilmore, had disrupted it at the catch. Just to haul that in, never break stride, and then just come up with a, I believe it was a 64-yard catch and run for the touchdown. The Giants really need that. needed that. They need more of that because that basically was their offensive production for the game, really. Watching that play made me just so eager to see what this offense can do once everyone is healthy and on the field because it might not have been a productive game throwing the ball through the air. They didn't even hit 200 yards. However, they were still able to make these big plays in this game. They were able to get some chunk plays here and there. And then the big one being the the Golden Tate touchdown that we're alluding to. It just makes me wonder what things could have been if they actually had everybody in this game. Could they have had a really productive day against a good defense? I guess we'll never really know. But down the line, once everyone comes back, once Evan Ingram's back, once Sterling Shepard's back, once Saquon Barkley's back, uh, even when Wayne Gallman's back, this offense has that potential there it's just right now we're not really able to see it yeah and that's kind of been the story since august they would get one guy back and lose two more they get two guys back they'd lose one it seems like that's just the way this season has been going it is 
fascinating to think about what they could be if if and when they get everybody together and hopefully that will start to happen here and you know we mentioned that sterling shepherd might be on the sidelines for a while but hopefully we'll at least start getting most of the other guys back this week getting them back is very very important especially facing off against a cardinals team that is very very beatable so these three negatives that we have here they're they all make a lot of sense considering the offense was not able to move the ball facing off against the best defense in the league without any offensive weapons so the first one that we have was a lack of ability to capitalize on turnovers the most notable one was the Jenkins interception in the first quarter where they picked off Tom Brady got the ball to the middle of the field past the 50 yard line and then they ended up punting it on a three and out so situations like that where they're not able to put points on the board and use those situations to their advantage, that really hinders an offense's production. Yeah, and especially in a game like this where going in, you know you're not going to get many opportunities like that. How often do we see Tom Brady miss a wide-open receiver that badly? You know, a receiver who's running down the middle of the field and Brady throws it outside the hash marks. That just never happens and those are the those are the situations where the giants really need to take advantage when the defense can come up with plays like that just you know found money the giants need to the giants offense needs to spend that money get something for it the defense really kept putting this offense in a position to hang around in this game they ended up scoring a touchdown thanks to Marcus Golden and his pickup of that fumble it, it's just it's it's very frustrating to see that they were put in these positions and do something that's so rare and so difficult to do, and they weren't able to even get anything out of it, not even a field goal. So situations like this, plays like this, where you're able to pick off one of the best quarterbacks of all time and have an opportunity to score, you need to use that momentum to your advantage because it, say you score in that situation, then the momentum's starting to swing in your favor and maybe you start to get your feet underneath you offensively and and along those lines more needs to be done in those situations agreed you know we we actually saw that from the beginning of the game the Giants got that great stop on fourth and one they held the Patriots without points on their first possession after they opened up by really gashing the defense and then the offense comes out and has a three and out they were not able to capitalize and we just saw that again and again throughout the game where the defense would play great. They would, I think, play better than anybody thought they would. And the offense just could not capitalize. The second negative we have, we were exposed to it last week. And this week it really opened our eyes. And it is the fact that this offense is one-dimensional without being able to run the ball well and efficiently. Hillman was effectively taken out of the game, and it's been allowing teams to completely scheme around Daniel Jones and force him to throw the ball 30-plus times in, in a game. He threw the ball 31 times, making things very, very predictable. They're expecting on second and third down that they're going to throw the ball because it's it's second and eight, second and seven. You're almost forced to throw the ball when you know that the run game is not going to come through on second down if you can only pick up two yards on first down. So non-existent running game for them is just hurting Daniel Jones. It's not allowing him to be 
relaxed. It's just forcing him to almost have to feel like he has to do everything just for this offense to move the ball. We'll hopefully get to see that change with Saquon Barkley, who even even if he doesn't have the best run blocking, can force missed tackles and create on his own. But I think you just nailed it with the offense is predictable without being able to get into really comfortable down and distance situations where they can have the playbook wide open and just give Daniel Jones more options, more options where he can be comfortable and force the defense to think about more options. We'll probably get into this a little bit later, a little bit later in this podcast, and then again into our preview show for next week. But there's a definite trend in how defenses are approaching the Giants with Daniel Jones, at quarterback. And that means taking away the run game and taking away as much as possible the chunk passes and forcing the Giants to live on whatever is left. And it's proven fairly effective. I'd be curious to to see the the numbers, if they would support this claim, but it doesn't seem like the last two games defenses were overly pressuring Daniel Jones. Like they weren't going out of their way to send obnoxious blitzes like we saw against the Buccaneers trying to force him to freak out and and react. If anything, what we're seeing is defenses letting him sit and think too much, and that resulted in one of his interceptions. So this this scheming of let the rookie overthink it is starting to work if there is no established run game and some of the pressure is taken off Daniel Jones. Yeah, you know, I just brought up the official stats from the game. The, the Patriots only got six quarterback hits on top of their one, two, three sacks. So all told, they didn't pressure Jones a ton. I did notice they, sorry, I did notice rewatching the game, they did try to keep a spy on Jones to keep him from really hurting them with his legs. I believe they used Kyle Van Noy on that a fair amount. And that seemed to be fairly effective. Again, taking away another avenue the Giants have for getting production on the ground. And also a way to keep Jones from extending the play and waiting for one of his receivers to work open. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But yeah, just rushing four, rushing three, dropping seven or eight into coverage, that has seemed to really frustrate the Giants offense. Frustrate the offense is a key word there. And this final point leads right into that. And it's the three interceptions we saw from Daniel Jones, the most interceptions He's thrown in his very early career. You hate to see a young quarterback make the mistakes that he did. And we're going to do our due diligence here and take a look at the interceptions and and kind of break down what happened, what he could probably do differently. First interception that he threw was against Stephon Gilmore, um, trying to force the ball into a tight window. And his final one was also the result of trying to force it against Stephon Gilmore. So you kind of have to... In this situation, while it's great that he's not scared of one of the best corners in the league and throwing at him, you need to be smarter in those situations. You cannot be throwing the ball right at one of the best corners when he's in tight coverage on one of your receivers. If you don't see an open lane in that situation, don't force it because he's definitely going to be able to make a play on the ball. Yeah, that's just what he does. He's long, he's explosive, he's athletic. He's going to be able to get a hand in and disrupt at the catch point. And that was what we saw in the first one. I, I rewatched that play in slow motion. It looked like Jones might have held the ball you know, 
a beat or two too long and then threw it just a little bit behind Cody Latimer. And Gilmore was able to get his hand in there, knock the ball up, and linebacker came down with the tip drill. That third one, the Patriots rotated their coverage uh, just before the snap. They went from a one-deep look to a two-deep look, and Gilmore was in coverage on Rhett Ellison. So he, Ellison is not going to be getting separation on, against Stephen Gilmore. That's just not a thing that is going to happen. Gilmore knew he had help over the top, so that one, it, it looked like Jones knew where he was going to go with the ball before, he even sna- before the snap even happened. So th- that was one where he definitely should have really read the defense and either thrown it away or found somewhere else to go. The third interception, a few plays earlier, it seems like they ran a similar route concept with Ellison and he was wide open and they were able to get like a 15-yard first down on that play. It just seemed like that he thought that it was going to be open again and he was so quick to react that he was like, oh God, I need to hit him. He's going to be open. It didn't really fully analyze the situation and threw it at one of the best corners in the league that was able to just make a great play on it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that's exactly what happened. And it, the Patriots being the Patriots and Bill Belichick has been calling their defense. He saw that play as well. He saw Red Ellison wide open. So he probably had a pretty good idea that that was going to come and just called the perfect defense for it. And we've kind of glossed over the second interception where Jones just held the ball and held the ball and held the ball. And then he held the ball some more. And then I think he finally decided to throw it away, but then it got tipped and just fell right into a place where there were only Patriots. That second interception was really tough to watch. I, the whole play, I, I was just, I was literally yelling, throw the ball away, throw the ball away. And he finally decides to do it right when someone's bearing down on him. It might have been Danny Shelton who tipped the back of his arm, and that was enough to redirect it, put it up in the air. Easy interception for the Patriots defense. All three of these are fixable mistakes. If you go and look at it and analyze it and you talk to Daniel and you explain to him what he can't do in those situations, they're very fixable, but they're just dumb rookie decisions to do. They're just not smart. There's typical rookie um, plays in those situations. Just needs to be a lot smarter with the football. Hopefully we do see them fixed. These issues, I think, don't really become issues until we see them persist and not get fixed. If he stays trying to force the ball into tight coverage, if he is really hesitant to throw the ball away and gets himself into trouble trying to extend the plays like extend the play like that, if he makes his decision before he breaks the huddle and isn't reading the defenses, if he's doing that a few games from now, if he's doing that next year, that's when I think they become a legitimate problem that people should worry about. Hopefully he does correct those mistakes and he continues to develop. You have to make mistakes at some point. So the bright side of this is it's better that he's doing it earlier in his career and he can learn from them. It's just a matter of how he applies himself and if he he actively tries to make those changes and, and tries to work away from doing those things in the future. Now we are going to transition to defense, but before we do that, we're going to have a very quick commercial break. Watching this game from the defensive perspective was 
very, very difficult to do because you almost question if the defense even did anything wrong. They were on the field so long in this game, and we're going to get to that very briefly, that towards the end of the game, they were so gassed and they were so tired that there was only so much they could do at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing that came with that was they were also hung out to dry in multiple situations with the, with multiple turnovers and uh, the, the fumble by Hilleman that set up an easy layup of a touchdown. So the first positive that we have from this game that we're going to talk about defensively was being able to intercept Tom Brady, which is not easy. We touched upon it a little bit earlier, but it was a great play by Janoris Jenkins capitalizing on a miss of a throw by Tom Brady. Like we said before, that is just a thing that does not happen. I don't know if it was the short week or if the Patriots were kind of taking the Giants for granted with all of the injuries they've had and having a rookie quarterback and all of that. Their offense looked flat, especially in the first quarter, the first half, really, up until that last drive right before halftime. And I thought the defense really took advantage of that. They challenged the Patriots on pretty much every play. The coverage was tight and aggressive. They were not really giving too many free releases. And the Patriots were able to get receivers open. That had more to do with their receivers' route running ability and their offensive scheme than it did just the Giants being passive on defense. They challenged the Patriots up front. They got the three sacks on Brady. They got they were able to hit him. They capitalized on mistakes. And that was all really good to see from a young and developing defense against, I would say, not one of the elite offenses in the league despite their production, but an offense that is generally really efficient and just very difficult to really efficient and just doesn't give you those opportunities. So really good to see them kind of capitalize on those. You, you touched on our second positive here, which was the pass rush and being able to generate some pressure on Tom Brady, who's notorious for being able to get the ball quickly out of his hands. It seems as if they were able to capitalize on them being flat, but it also was an effective day on defense. The secondary actually looked clean. They weren't giving up any wide open plays across the middle of the field like we've seen early in the season. And those route concepts are stuff that the the Patriots feast on, which is running those slants across the middle of the field, running those drag routes, quick quick plays. And they were able to generate some uh, uh, some pressure on him as well. We, we said the three sacks. They were great plays by Alec Ogletree and Lorenzo Carter. Um, in general, though, it's, it, it is very, very promising to see that they were able to do that against an offense that is supposed to be so good and a, a, a scheme that it is is so difficult to stop. Yeah, definitely. And it's good, I, good, I think, to see, especially that defensive front, come through like that. You know, we've definitely had our issues, I think you could say, with the Giants' secondary. But the defensive front definitely seems to be coming together, especially getting Lorenzo Carter back, uh, getting Alec Ogletree back, the two of them with their speed coming downhill, that made an impact in this game. I I thought you could really see it, especially Carter and Ogletree both getting production in the pass rush. To, they're going to need more of that go- going forward, definitely. It's been a gradual week-by-week improvement for this defense, and if they come and play like this against the Cardinals, 
it could be a very, very good day for them. Hopefully they take this momentum and they carry it into the into their next game and not take that step backward because we've seen better performances from the secondary piece by piece, maybe not in full games, but piece by piece, seeing those flashes. We've seen increased performance by the pass rush. We've seen improvements at the linebacker position because Alec Ogletree is now back and healthy. Hopefully they get Tay Davis back as well. So our only negative from this game isn't really a negative on the defense. And just if you look at it and don't look at the stats and if you sit and watch rewatch the game, it really makes you acknowledge that the defense was hung out to dry significantly by the offense. And what I mean by that is that the defense was forcing turnovers. They were getting stops on third down. They were getting the ball right back to the offense and they were setting them up with great situations. And the offense was floundering those situations. They were not being productive. They were not moving the ball. And that just set up the Giants to be on the field for a ridiculous amount of time. They were on the field 39 minutes and 36 seconds. And Chris acknowledged that they were on the field for 83 plays. That's more than a whole game. That's about like a game and a half if we're being realistic for time of possession. Just too much time on the field because of the offense. And like I said, this negative is directed right at the offense because they disrupted a good defensive day because of their lack of ability to move the ball. Yeah, like, like you said, 83 plays. Uh, teams usually plan for about 65 or so, I think is a, a fair round number. So like you said, the, the defense basically played a game and a half. And even though the Giants were technically in it, it going into the fourth quarter, they were only down by a touchdown, at least on the scoreboard, they were still in this game almost right up to the end. But you could just see about halfway through the third quarter, the defense was just gassed. You could see it in their body language. Guys had their hands on their hips. They they weren't exactly jumping up off the ground like they were earlier in the game. And really, the Patriots' only drive of the third quarter, I think, was what did them in. It was a 19-play, 10-minute drive, and that's 10 minutes of game time. So in real time, the defense was on the field for what felt like an entire half in that quarter. And by the end, you could just see they didn't – they had almost nothing left. And then you saw, then we saw the Patriots just start sprinting down the field again in the fourth quarter. You really have to be nitpicking – if you go back and look at how this defense played to actually really find anything bad and egregious that they did, they, they gave up chunk plays here and there. That's going to ha- happen in any game. Again, I just did not see anything that made me think like, oh my God, this is, this is a bad defense. Like I did in some other weeks during the season, like I did in week one, like I did uh, against the Buccaneers because they gave up so many yards and some of their other opponents as well. They actually had a pretty good performance. They had a good performance this week just put in the worst possible places. Perfect example of that is the offense throwing a screen to John Hilleman and him fumbling it and that getting that right down to the one-yard line. A defense can't do anything in that situation. If you get lucky and they have an incredible defensive stop and force a field goal, that's really the most you can hope for. be very, very rare for them to turn the ball over in that situation considering how good that offense is and considering the amount of veterans on that offense. So 
just not much you can really take away as far as a negative from the defensive performance. Really, the fact that the Patriots were able to score 35 points, that is not on the defense. That is on the offense turning the ball over, not being able to convert third downs. They only converted two out of 10 third downs on the game. And then special teams giving up points. The Giants had gotten better play out of their special teams, more consistent play out of their offense. Then I think you definitely could have said that they were in it right down to the wire. And this could have been a really great game and potentially a massive upset. But the fact that it wasn't is not on the defense, regardless of what the score says. Yeah, if this game actually played out the way it could have been without the amount of turnovers by the Giants, it could have been a well-fought defensive battle, but it ends up on the box score looking like a blowout in favor of the Patriots. Just really not the case if you actually sit and watch how things turn out in this game. So that's going to be it from us, folks. We did our typical breakdown here and a lot of negatives, a lot of positives. They need to get back to doing what they've done well against a Arizona Cardinals team that is coming off of a pretty good victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Hopefully the Giants will have some more healthy bodies. Some guys will be back this week. They have the mini buy, which should help them. They've had some more time to prepare for the Cardinals than the Cardinals do have to prepare for them. So this is an important game coming up for them. We're going to be giving you our preview show a little bit later in the week like we typically do. Overall, though, that is going to be it from us, though. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Also follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon, D-E-L-E-O-N-E. And you can follow Chris at Raptor, M-K-I-I. Also make sure you follow the Big Blue View Twitter at Big Blue View and the Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Thank you for tuning in, folks. 